This is the last, um, the last sermon in the series that we've been doing. It's a three-week series. We've been looking at Luke 10. In Luke 10, in Luke 9, Jesus sends out the 12. And then in Luke 10, he sends out the 72. 70, sometimes, some translations say 70, but we're just going to round it up to the, the nearest 72. He sent out 72 disciples to, to preach and teach in the places he was going to go. And uh, so that's what we've been looking at the last three weeks. The first week we looked at was the plan. And this was where he says, okay, guys, I'm going to send you away. I'm going to prepare you with this vision of a harvest, a harvest field waiting for workers. And then I'm going to give you some rules. And I'm going to tell you, like, hey, this is how it should look like. And remember some of the weird rules. Then he said, hey, heal the sick. And when you do, tell them this is the kingdom. Then he says, hey, also rebuke the prideful. And you can tell them this is the kingdom too. And then he took a pause. Last week we looked at this pause where he warned them about what pride does and how God sees pride. And then they went out and did it. Now here's what's crazy about this. It wasn't written down. We don't know what happened on the, on the way. We, it, it says they sent out, and then the very next verse is when they came back. And that's what we're going to look at. So that's why this one is called the debrief. We don't have like a diary entry of one person's trip. All we have is Jesus said this when he sent them out, and then they came back, and this is what the report was, and this is what Jesus said when they came back. And so that's what we're going to look at today, all right? Uh, let's just jump right in. We're going to read the whole section, and then we're going to break it up and do each of, the, each of the parts of it. All right, so let's just read Luke 10, starting in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. No one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So, that's the, that's the debrief. Now, those, that, that debrief is kind of chunked into three things. I actually put each one on a separate slide there. We're going to look at those three kind of like paragraphs, if you will. And the first one, we're just going to go in order, the way we've kind of been doing this whole series, okay? There are three lessons that I want us to pull out of this, this debrief. And you may get them. You may have been like, I already see exactly what you're hoping to teach me. Maybe you're like, I have no idea what you're going to say. That is okay. 
The first one is, is the one that is preached on probably the most often. The title of this point is Written in Heaven. And we're going to look at when they came back and they said, dude, it was awesome. We did some really cool things. And Jesus was like, I'm glad, but that's not why you should be happy. Okay, let's read that again. If you look at the, at the very end, he said, however, I'm glad you did all this cool stuff. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this written in heaven is kind of alluding to something that's in the Old Testament. It's, it's in other places in the New Testament, but it's kind of like hinted at here. It's this idea of the book of life. It's where God writes the names of, of the righteous in heaven. And it, there's even some Old Testament uh, prophecies where it says, like, God is going to erase your name from the book of life as a warning, which is scary. Now, you've probably heard this preached. If you've been around long enough, you've heard someone do a lesson on this or maybe like a, a devotional or a leader's meeting or something. You've heard this preached at some point. And typically we read this and the takeaway or the way I've heard it preached a lot is that, that like results, if I try something and I get some good results, that's great, but results are not as important as your actual salvation. And that's valid. That's good. I want to look at this through a slightly different lens though, okay? I want to look at this through the lens of things that are temporary and things that are permanent, okay? The victories on this particular mission that Jesus sent them out, they were, they were temporary victories. There's no way to know that the people that they talked to and the people that they performed miracles in front of, that was just leading the way for Jesus to come. Do we know that, that all of those people actually then became disciples of Jesus? We don't know that. We have no way of knowing that. And do we know that the people who, of those people, the people that became disciples of Jesus, were able to stick it out through all the persecution that was going to come under the Roman Empire? We don't know that. Then we know that there was like heavy persecution that scattered people all over. How did they, how did they fare in that? We don't know. And then do we, do we know if any of those people actually stayed faithful till the day they died? We don't know any of that. And Jesus is just saying here, like, guys, you did some awesome things. And all of those things are totally temporary. But there's something that's permanent. Your names are written in heaven. And if you, if your relationship with God can be so solid, like, that your salvation, your, like, when you get to heaven, like, that's not temporary anymore. And everything we do here is so temporary. And yet there's something that's eternal. And that's what we should be striving for. Here's a, here's a verse I love. This is Paul kind of hinting at this. So we fix, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so temporary and eternal. And he says, hey guys, everything you can see, that's in the temporary column. And so like, well, what can I see? I can, everything I can see. Look around. Everything you can lay eyes on right now, including me. Well, you're looking at my body. You're looking, that's not going to last. It's already not lasting. This microphone and the, your, your phone and your home and your car, this building, everything, it's temporary. On a long enough timeline, everything decays and goes away. But there's something that is not temporary, and you can't lay eyes on it. But I can see it. 
I can, I can have vision for it, and it's inside each one of you. But do we get distracted by what we can see, and we lose sight of what we can't see? Do we get distracted by what is temporary, and lose sight of what is eternal? Everything we can see is going to pass away. They're all just created things. So we should fix our eyes on what is eternal. And I want to I phrase this in a very specific way for you guys. There's a lot of ways to interpret this. I want to phrase this in a very specific way. Temporary victories are nothing without eternal victories. And what do I mean by that? You guys are some sharp people. You guys are some spiritual people. You're awesome. I mean, if you haven't heard that in a while, you're awesome. And you guys do some awesome things. Kalamazoo, you guys are doing some awesome things. Grand Rapids, I love you guys. You're doing awesome things. Guess what? None of those things matter if you don't stay close to God. When we, like we would go over to India and we would meet people and there were times where we'd say goodbye and I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to see you again. Like I might, if, if I come back here, you might not be here or I might, not, I might not come back. Like, I don't know if, if we'll ever actually lay eyes on each other again. But here's the most important thing. I want, I want to see you in heaven someday. So I need you to stay faithful. I need you to, to stay close to God. And yet, we can get so distracted by, like, the great things we do. Secular and spiritual. So on the secular side, like your jobs, your school, you can get the best degrees. But I don't care how awesome your degree is or what school you go to if you don't, if, if it costs you your faith. I don't care what great job you get if it costs you your faith. And then spiritual victories too. This is very real. Like, I know people that were like powerhouses in the faith. That like planted churches and converted you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of people, and yet they're not faithful to Jesus anymore. And maybe you know people like that. And you can have, you can have a long list of spiritual victories, just like these guys came back from this mission, and they're like, oh my gosh, we did the coolest stuff. And Jesus is like, that's good, that's good, but that's not what's most important. So all three of these points is going to have a, an encouragement and a warning, Okay. Here's the, here's, the, here's the encouragement. Ready? You are saved if you are a disciple of Jesus and you are living under the lordship of Jesus and he has forgiven your sins and it's awesome. You're saved. Yay! The warning is everything else becomes meaningless if you give that up. What? Like what? Like all your great fellowship, all your like amazing time with other brothers and sisters and you're like investing, you're serving all of your like all your like awestruck worship. And some of you are great at worship, but that's not as important as your relationship with God. All of your like, like energetic, like untiring ministry cranking, like good for you, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't stay faithful. It might mean something for someone else. It might mean, it might mean everything for the person you helped, but it doesn't mean anything for you anymore if you don't stay faithful faithful. And so this is something we need to always be thinking about. Like, I, I just don't want anybody to be 
striving for spiritual successes in the short term and lose sight of spiritual victories eternally. Amen? So that's, that's the way I look at that section. Point number two, all right? Jesus does this thing where he like, he's talking to them about written in heaven, and then uh, it says, at that time, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Jesus starts praying to God, right in front of his disciples. So he's like, he's like, yeah, no, this is great, this is great, and then like something comes over Jesus where he's like immediately just full of joy, the Holy Spirit, and he starts praying. And, and this is what he says. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. I want to just talk about this idea for a while. The, the, the title of this point is The Importance of Innocence. And gosh, this gets me. Like when I think about this, like I get super emotional when I talk about this. The idea that there was something that Jesus saw and he said, God, I'm so glad that you didn't show this to all the grown-ups in the room. You saved it and you showed it to the little children. There's another verse about where Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 18, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what did he do? He didn't answer their question. He grabbed a small child. And he said, oh, hey, you, come on over here. I'm going to teach them a lesson about who's the greatest. And then this is what he said. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that probably threw them for a loop. What, what does that mean? How can I use that's useless information, Jesus? I don't know how to change and become like a little child. And what Jesus is saying in, in the Luke 10 scripture is he's saying, like, God, I'm so glad that you don't value experience and knowledge and, uh, you know, acclaim you know, like accredited, whatever. Like, that's not what you look at. It's not the wise and the learned that you say, that's who I'm going to reveal the, the kingdom to. It's the innocent and pure-hearted. And I have this story. I don't have a picture of it, so I just found a different picture, okay? But this is a picture from camp, okay? And you might, you might recognize some people. There's Jason. I was Jason's counselor. But this is Rafi and Lucas, and that's Shishi. There's Titus. I don't remember who he is. And then, um, who, do you remember who the counselor is in that picture? Elliot. Yes, 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 Elliot. Okay, I love camp. I love camp with, like, every fiber of my being, okay? So one year, we're at camp, and at lunch they decide to do a lip-sync battle. Does anybody remember? Was anybody there? We, we decided to do a lip-sync battle. This is at the little camp. This is at Discover Camp. So it's little kids. Like, this, was, um, this was when Everett was there, 
Um, and, and the girls went, and it was cool, it was great. The girls are awesome. And then the guys went. And a, a counselor who was in college at the time convinced all these young boys, like 11-year-old boys, 10 and 11-year-old boys, said, hey, guys, we're going to do Frozen. We're going to do Let It Go by, from the Frozen soundtrack. And, um, <laughs> and I can already feel myself getting emotional here. Like, this is so dumb that I'm going to start crying about this, guys. I listen to that song now and I start crying. Why do I start crying when I listen to the Frozen soundtrack? It's so stupid. But here's the thing. A 20-year-old a 20 guy convinced a bunch of 10 and 11-year-old boys to sing with him along to the song. And they did. And it was hilarious. I mean, it was, it was glorious. And all the girls were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And all the boys were, like, dancing. And they, they choreographed it with all the motions. And they were dancing. And it was, like, it was, just, it was just great. And yet, I'm standing at the back of the room. And something just, like, completely washes over me. And I start crying because, like... I look at these boys, and I think they would never be able to do this at their school because they would get ridiculed, they would get bullied, they would get mocked mercilessly for doing something like this. And they're having, they're having too much pure, innocent fun together. The world will not allow this. And they just are having a good time. And it just struck me like, can the kingdom, can the kingdom of God preserve innocence and value it? So that, so that boys and girls can actually grow into the people that God wants them to be? Or will they just be, will they be hurt? Will they, will they, Will they be taught from a very early age, we do not value innocence. And you're going to have to sacrifice that to get ahead and get along in life. But here's the question. Like, do you look for innocence in, in the hearts of people? And when you see it, do you value it? Or do we end up acting just like the world and we just mock people for it? You might think, I don't know, I don't. Doesn't, I, I don't think of, I don't think I do. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, how, how are your relationships? And I'm going to talk specifically to like single men and women. Our society has destroyed male and female relationships so that we're trapped in generations of just brokenness and hurt. And you, you, are in, you are in a cycle that you don't even realize, you don't even see how damaging it is and how hurtful it is and how you're just repeating it. And how like generations ago, you know, a man and a woman, you know, they, they hurt each other and then that has just continued to go down and parents are hurting children and children are hurting themselves and then they're hurting their children and they're hurting themselves. And we don't see the way Jesus sees. We don't look into people and say like, 
God, I'm so glad that you value what is pure and what is innocent. And so my question for you guys is like, well, what are you going to do to protect your pure heart? Or are you going to sacrifice it? And you might think, I don't think I sacrifice it. I see this all the time, even from spiritual people. They don't think the way, they don't think this way. In relationships, we value experience over innocence. We just do. Let's be honest with it. And then we just have generations of hurt and abuse, people trapped in cycles of brokenness. But who's going to be the one to stand up and be like, we need to form a new culture where we don't hurt each other this way, where men and women can actually like, take care of one another and be pure and like, love each other for who they are, not for what they can do for me? Who's going to do that? The answer is probably no one. No one's going to do that because it's too hard. I did, a, I did a lesson a while back called Shrewd and Innocent where we talked about conspiracies and conspiracy theories and how we, we Jesus is like, yeah, I want you to be shrewd as snakes but innocent as doves. And we're like, nah, that's boring. I don't care about being innocent. I just want to be shrewd. And what do we do? We view things like the government and corporations, and they're so evil, and we, we sacrifice our innocence so that we can't even, like, see the world straight anymore. We'll believe all kinds of crazy garbage just so that we don't be, we're not seen as weak or, or dumb or stupid or a follower or, or, or simple. We're just too shrewd to be innocent. So here's my encouragement. This might not seem like a super encouraging point. Here's my encouragement. You don't have to be the most amazing at stuff, even spiritually. You don't even have to like know everything, have done everything. You don't have to have the best spiritual resume. I can look out here, and I just, just the people sitting right here in this room, I can think of some amazing spiritual powerhouses. You guys have done some awesome things. And that's good. That is to be praised. And I, and I, am, I am grateful for you, and yet... I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I look out, and I also see some people that have been seriously hurt and maybe hardened their hearts and have become bitter and have, like, feel like me against the world sometimes. Here's the thing. Jesus values a pure heart, not the most, like, amazing spiritual resume. But, but what are you going to do to protect that? How are you going to grow as a person, as a disciple, and keep an innocent and pure heart? Gosh, I feel like we could talk about that for a long time, guys. Let's, let's move on, though. So then Jesus goes on to say something where he, he says, hey, you guys, he's, this is what he says privately. He's like, hey, you guys, you're actually really lucky that you've seen this stuff because a lot of people wanted to see it and didn't get to see it. I want to talk about... I've worded this very precisely. I want to talk about covenant privilege. So this is what Jesus said at the end of Luke, uh, at this Luke, Luke 10 that we're reading. He turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but didn't see it. And to hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. He's like, you guys, I just want you to know this. 
Don't let this slip by you. You're seeing something and hearing something that people have wanted to see for centuries, millennia, and none of them got to see it, and you're getting it. Like, you better realize how lucky you are to, to be here and now and get this opportunity to see them and hear this stuff. You know, Peter, he must have been paying attention because many, 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 many years later, as an old man, he writes this in 1 Peter. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. And it's this idea that, like, you guys have no idea how lucky you are to, to be the beneficiaries of all of this. What we now can see is, like, the kingdom is this beautiful thing that people for millennia were like, I, I don't even get it. I don't know what it's... There's something in me. I love this, the way he words it. There's something in me that's pointing to something that I will never see but someone will benefit from it. And guys, that's you. You benefit from this. But here, so my, my encouragement is that's awesome. Here's my warning. None of us care. Like we just don't care about it. It doesn't stir us. It doesn't stir us to like, Praise God for all of the amazing benefits we have of living in this new covenant relationship of the blood of Jesus. And so that is why I used the word privilege. And I have a definition of privilege. It's not necessarily the dictionary definition of the word privilege. But when I think of privilege, I think of benefiting from something that you didn't earn. Okay? It just, you just got it. You got it? Like, we all have lots of different little privileges. Like the fact that we, uh, I think almost everyone in this room could very easily reach into your pocket and pull out your magic little box where you could access all of the wisdom of humanity. You could get anywhere you want. You could contact anyone you want, pretty much. That is a privilege. That is a technological privilege that... If you, would, if you were to go back in time and show that to anyone, like, even a hundred years ago, uh, you go back too far, they might have burned you for it because that's just magical. It is a magical privilege that you can do that, and no one could have imagined it. And yet, what do we do? We use it to, like, argue with people online. And we don't use it for everything that we could use it for. We live in a society where, like, the roads are paved and the water comes out relatively clean from the tap. And like we, ha we live in insulated homes and, and I didn't build any of that. I may have bought it. I may have like now the bank owns it or like, but, but I, didn't have to, I didn't have to learn how to do that. I didn't have to, I didn't have to like earn the, pr the right to have clean drinking water. And yet around the world, there's plenty of people that do not have that. So I was sitting, I was sitting in a Bible study with someone who we were trying to, was trying to get him to understand, like, 
okay, there's a, there, there's a lot of these privileges that we enjoy. And uh, so it was me, I'm white, and there was like five black guys, and I just talked about, like, there are certain privileges that I have, I have had because of my race that you guys have not had. And, um, and he was, he, you know, he really struggled with a lot of stuff, and we were, I was helping him through this. But I was like, but, but what did you do to earn your parents? Do you love your parents? He's like, they're the best thing in my whole life. I'm like, how hard did you work to earn your parents? He's like, I, I just got them. God just gave them to me. I'm like, that's a privilege. That's amazing. I, I believe that there are two things that when we recognize that we do have some sort of privilege on any scale, for any reason, whatever it is, there are two things that should, that should happen to us. Those two things are humility and motivation. That we should be humble in response to privilege. We shouldn't, we shouldn't act like we are allowed to abuse our privilege in any way. But it should motivate us to actually do something. And so my question for you this, this afternoon is, is the gospel humbling and motivating me? Like the fact that Jesus was like, guys, you are so lucky. Like there's, there's generations of people that just wanted to be able to see what you can see. And they never saw it. They lived and died and never saw it. They, and that's like amazing faith if, when you read in Hebrews. But I want you to think about like the, the covenant privilege that you have. That, that you could be born in this day and it would not be hard, especially in this country, to learn about Jesus. It's, it's, more, it's harder to make it through life in America and not hear about Jesus somewhere. And yet, that just wasn't the case for a long time in a lot of places. But does that like, does that sink in and does that like motivate you? The encouragement is that we are so blessed in so many ways. And the warning is that we just don't care anymore. It just like rolls off of us. Like, oh yeah, church. I have church. <laughs> There's, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to talk to people who had nothing. They're going to be like, oh, man, I can't believe. I can't believe you had a little magic box. You could encourage any disciple pretty much anywhere in the world, like all day long. You must have encouraged a, a ton of people. You're like, actually, I just ended up fighting with a bunch of people. Like, you have this magic box with wheels that you can get from one side of the city to the other side of the city in like 20 minutes? You can visit every single brother and sister in your church in a day? You must have been doing that nonstop all day long. Actually, no, I didn't do that at all. I really just kind of like did my own thing. You got no persecution for being a disciple of Jesus? Well, one guy told me to leave him alone. We're like, okay, but I'm, I'm, I was talking about persecution. We're like, mm, I don't know, maybe one guy, he was pretty aggressive when I asked him if he wanted to come to church. 
think maybe he, he, might, have, he might have threatened me. Uh, like, but nothing actually happened, right? I'm like, no, no, it's just kind of aggressive. I'm like, huh. So no persecution whatsoever. <laughs> I want us to be a lot more grateful, guys. Here's a question. How much of your prayer life is devoted just to thanking God for mercy, forgiveness, and the love of Jesus? Like, I am a sinner. I deserve nothing. God, thank you. A lot of us are grateful for blessings. That's good. When something good happens in your life, you say thank you to God for that. That's good. Good for you. A lot of us ask God for help to stay spiritual. Like, I want to be strong, so God, help me be strong. That's good. Good for you. Good for you. But the idea of covenant privilege never even occurs to us. And so it never humbles us and it never motivates us. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like mission. It's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. It's the idea that I have been given the most precious gift in the entire world. There is not a more precious, beautiful, valuable gift that anybody could give anyone else at any time. And I've already gotten it. And I did nothing to deserve this. And not only that, I have the opportunity to share it with other people. There's no guilt. There's no shame. It's just gift upon gift. It's blessing upon blessing. It's opportunity upon opportunity. But do we think this way? You think, man, what I have is so amazing. What is it doing to humble you and to motivate you? And so that's where Jesus leaves the, t- the discussion with the 72. There was a lot there. And so let's just recap. Jesus decides to send his disciples away. In the middle of the ministry, he's like, hey guys, uh, I know our time together is short, but go away. I don't know if I would have thought to do that, but I'm, I'm glad Jesus did. He prepared them with a vision of a harvest field waiting for workers. He gave them some rules, some weird rules, but the, some rules that we can learn from. He told them to heal the sick and say, what you just experienced is the kingdom of God. And then he said, if someone doesn't like what you said, just be like, all right, we're leaving, but I want you to know what you just experienced is the kingdom of God too. He warned them right before he left. Remember the six cities? He warned them how God sees pride and how it's better for the three bad cities than for the three good prideful cities. And then what happened? They went away and they did it. And then when they came back, Jesus had three statements for them that I'm going to put into statements. Temporary victories are nothing without eternal victories. Experience all of your amazing experiences. They are nothing if we don't protect our innocence and a pure heart. And then the privilege of this new covenant relationship with my father, this should humble us and it should motivate us. And so I pray that those are the kind of conversations that we can have with each other, church. I thank you so much and I love you. And at this time, Karin is gonna do our communion. So come on up, Karin.